I have been ministering on developing a heart full of faith. And I started um, a couple times back talking about the importance of supernatural hope and vision. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. In order to have faith, you have, it has to have something to give substance to. And that's hope. And hope is like a goal setter. Because sometimes people, they, they want to walk in faith, they want, but they're in despair, there's no hope. And hope is a supernatural thing. I'm not talking about natural hope. The Bible says that Abraham, against hope, he believed in hope. Because he's, what, you know, 90, 100 years old, and God promised that he was going to be the father of many nations, that he was going to have a son. And people just, and his wife was 10 years younger, and people that old just, they don't have children, and in the natural. And so against natural hope, he believed in supernatural hope, because God told him, you're going to be the father of many nations, and he took him outside and showed him all the stars in the sky, um, and said, this is going to be like your descendants. And so hope is important that faith can have substance, give substance to that. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4 because I want to point out something that hope needs to turn into faith. That we don't want hope deferred because it can make the heart sick because out of the heart are the issues of life. And I'm not talking about the blood pump. I'm talking close correlation to your spirit man or woman you know it's that spirit that that heart that's what produces things in life is the condition of your heart for out of the heart are the issues of life or the boundaries of life of you know as far as what God is going to manifest in and through you is dependent upon the condition of the heart and in Mark chapter 4 Jesus gave a parable that the heart of man or the heart of a person is like the soil, like the ground. And that the word of God is like seed. And so the ground is not going to determine what, in the natural, the ground is not going to determine what comes up. I mean, if you plant a certain seed, like corn, you know, beans aren't going to come up. But the heart can determine whether you're going to have a little bit of a crop, whether you're going to have a bumper crop. And Jesus said it can be a 30, 60, hundredfold return so as we receive the seed of the word of God into our heart the condition of our heart is going to determine how much is going to produce and he talked about um, stony ground and if we we look in Mark chapter 4 starting at verse 16 I want to read verse 16 and 17 and these are they that likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word immediately they receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure but for a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So I mentioned the importance of hope, but hope has to turn into faith. And here we see that these people, they heard the word of God and all of a sudden they were, they were excited. They were full of joy immediately. And that's what can happen when, when God brings hope to a person. It can, come from, it can come from revelation from the word where a person, maybe hear a preacher 
or they get in the word themselves and they see, boy, by Jesus' stripes I'm healed. Or my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And they're like, boy, I have, I've got hope. I've got hope. Or somebody, or God can give them maybe a word through a prophetic word. You know, sometimes we'll have ministers come and, and they have the people come up and, they, and they'll speak a word, what's called a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. And it brings hope. And they receive it with joy immediately. But sometimes what happens, people can only endure for a while because that hasn't taken root. It hasn't taken root. And then afflictions or persecutions are going to come. I mean, they're going to come for the word's sake, the Bible says. So afflictions are usually going to come from the enemy. He's going to bring attacks. Persecutions, a lot of times, are going to be from people. Like parents, oh, you know, you, you know, you got to be, you, you got to, you got to be careful with who you share some things with. You know, sometimes you get, you get this word of encouragement, and you share it with people, and and some people will say, oh no, that's not going to happen. So persecutions can happen. Of oh, you know, you really think that God's going to come through like that? I mean, and they just, they don't have faith themselves, so they're just out of their heart is what's coming towards you, um, and so. This hope has to turn into faith. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and said their faith was growing exceedingly. So faith can grow. The Bible says that everybody has been given, when you're born again, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, faith is deposited. Everybody has the measure of faith. Paul said that there are some people that don't have faith. Those are people that are not born again. But faith is there. But faith can increase. And faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Just like money is currency in our natural, faith is a currency in the kingdom of God. The more faith, the more you can receive of God, the more you can do for God. Let's go to Matthew 9, 29. I want to convince this to you guys that um, Jesus said this, that it, it is the currency of the kingdom. There was some, there's a, a story here in Matthew chapter 9 about blind men that they wanted to receive their sight. And we go to verse 29. It said, Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. Jesus said, didn't, didn't say, according to my power, although he had the power. He didn't say, according to all the good things or bad things. I mean, he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. And in the Greek, this according to is drop down, drop down upon. So God's power his grace is available. It's looking for a landing pad to come down upon. So that according to is drop down, drop down upon. That landing pad is faith. He is looking to unleash his power, unleash his grace on people. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. Amen. And so that according to 
is dropped down upon, which there's three things that are simple things that if you can remember and just when things get tough, God is good, his word is true, and he's no respecter of persons. I love that about God, that he's no respecter of persons. So it doesn't matter where people came from, what their background is, how rich, how much money they have. It's according to your faith, be it unto you. He's no respecter of persons, and he's good, and his word is true. His word is true. When it comes to believers, I've noticed that there's four types of people. Those people that are not walking or living by faith and things are not going good. Okay, so that's one type of person. Another type of person is they're not walking by faith, but things are going good. That's, that's dangerous, really. Number three is they're living by faith and things are not manifesting. They're living by faith. They're starting to get the message of faith and they're starting to apply principles to that, but things are not manifesting yet. And number four is living by faith and things are manifesting. And that's where we want to get. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask anything that you want and it shall be done unto you. Anything. It's like a blank check. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So the promises of God are conditional. That if we abide in him and his word abides in us, ask whatever you want, it will be done unto you. And then he goes on to say, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So as we ask in faith, and we get our prayers answered, that brings glory to God. That's what, that's what we should be, that should be our aim. That's what we should be striving for. And he said, all things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. And last time I ministered, I transitioned from hope to faith, and I said, faith is a rest. There's joy and there's peace in believing in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It said there's joy and peace in believing. So if you want to know if yourself or another person is in faith, that peace and that joy is going to be a gauge. All right. So there's, there's joy and there's peace in believing. And I said faith is a rest. And I mentioned that because all the works were finished before the foundation of the world. The Bible says that Jesus was even slain before the foundation of the world, that he has good works laid out for us. It said that Paul, even before, even before he was born, when he was in his mother's womb, that God had called, called Paul to do what he was going to do. And then there came a time where God got him. I mean, he was doing things contrary to his calling, but God is faithful. He is faithful. Jeremiah, he said, I, I called you as a prophet even before you were born. So he has plans for us, and they're good plans. And it's a rest when you know that the works were finished before the foundation of the world. That brings peace. 
That brings that joy in believing, knowing that these works were, fought, were already done. That we are more than conquerors. Jesus did the hard part. Now what we have to do, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now you guys go. I've given you all this authority. Now just go. Because everything is really done. Go to Isaiah 46.10. And <clears throat> Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So even before we get to the end, God knows what his plan is for us. He doesn't, there's not, like I said last time, there's not a predestination of, okay, God says this guy is, this person is going to be born again, this person is not. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about his plans that are good, that are perfect for us. He has them laid out for us. And we have to, these spiritual blessings for our lives, all spiritual blessings are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what brings those into manifestation is our faith. That's his grace. That's his favor. And so our faith will bring these in. And with Mary, remember Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the angel Gabriel came to her and said, this is what is going to happen. You're going to conceive. You're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. And she didn't know how that was going to happen because she hadn't been with a man. And then, he, and then the angel explained, okay, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And she said, be it unto me, according to your word. And then as you go down in First John, or John 1, 14, and it says, the word was manifest, was made flesh, and manifest the word that she received from God through Gabriel was manifest because she had faith and she conceived it in the womb of her spirit. That is faith. Faith is receiving the word of God in the womb of your spirit. And then what happens when that faith increases, it will manifest in the natural realm. In your finances, people think, well, how can this be a spiritual thing? It is. Because all these spiritual blessings are laid up for us. Okay? And so when these promises, there's power in God's word, in the word, there's seed, there's power in there to perform what he sent it down, out to do. There's power in that seed of the word. And as we conceive that, then in the womb of our spirit is going to manifest. And Jesus said the condition of your heart is going to determine, is this going to be 30? Is this going to be 60? Is this going to be 100-fold? And he said, according to your faith, be it unto you. So faith is a rest. When you know, faith sees things. It sees things. It's not blind. Some people say, well, that's blind faith. No, faith always sees it sees in the spirit. I mean, some, God will speak to you through his word and it's conceived and, and somebody has a pain in their leg and they go, by Jesus' stripes, I'm healed and I'm, I'm, I'm healed. And, and people say, that doesn't make sense. 
Well, it's not intended to make sense. It's intended to make faith. God could have made this world a feel-like world. Okay, we could wake up in the morning and say, I feel like this or I feel like that, and then that's how the day went. But he didn't do that. It's not a feel-like world. It's, it's a faith. He's a God of faith. And that just excites me. It excites me that he's no respecter of persons and that we can have it according to us, according to our faith. And so I said, faith is a rest because of the, all the works were finished from the foundation of the world. But another thing that gives faith a rest is knowing the goodness and the love of God. Now hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad into our heart by the Holy Spirit. So hope is not going to disappoint because that love that God has for us is going to turn into faith and it's going to manifest in our lives. That's, that's exciting to me. And the next thing that is important with increasing faith that I want to get into tonight is faith in God's grace. All right. And let's turn to Romans chapter 4. Faith in God's grace is not faith in our own ability. It's not faith in our, our works, how good we are. It's faith in God's grace. And we'll get to a definition here just in a minute. Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So what promise is he talking about here? If you go to verse 13, for the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Paul said, let no man glory in man for all things are yours. All things are yours. There's something powerful that we need to understand about covenant too. You know, here in the Western world in America, it's so watered down compared to what God really intended and what he did in the Old Testament that now covenant can just be, you know, something written, shaking hands, and, it, you know, there's ways to get out of it and the integrity, there's just no integrity, but what God means covenant in the, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament always means to cut with blood. I mean, it was something that you did not come out of. And so God has made covenant with us through the blood of Jesus. You know, when Jesus was on the earth in the Last Supper, he said, you know, this is a, the cup of the new covenant. And in natural covenant, um, people that have gone over to our countries and seen these different tribes I mean, they'll, they'll cut themselves and they'll, and they'll put that blood together to make a covenant. And sometimes they'll take that blood and they'll put it in wine and they'll mix it and they'll drink it. And, and basically what they're saying is what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And if, and if we cut this covenant, you know, it, it's death. Yeah. And, and God cut covenant with, with Abraham too. And we read this that, that he should be the heir of the world. What is God is ours. 
that doesn't mean that we can do things and receive things apart from what his covenant promises are, what his um, principles are, what his law are. But when we're abiding in him and, he's ab and his word is abiding in us, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are joint, we're heirs of God and joint heirs. What is his is ours. But our part is in order for God to have authority on this earth, he has to work through man. That's when Jesus was on the earth and he was casting out devils. They said, what are you doing? I know you're, you're the son of God. And basically they were saying, we know that you don't have authority here on this earth to do this. You know, the time has not come for us to be done. This, this is our time. But they didn't realize that he was a man, anointed by the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I mean, and, that's, and he did all that stuff on the earth as an example for us that we can do things anointed by the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was, what a great example that that was. So, with grace, there's different definitions. Um, some are good, but some, I believe, are incomplete. One of it is grace is God's unmerited favor, which there's some truth to that, but it's incomplete. If grace was unmerited, why would he say that God gives grace to the humble? I mean, so there must be, you know, some type of condition that we have to receive God's grace, and that's humility. Because he says he resists the proud. So if it was unmerited, it would be to the proud, it would be to the humble, but it isn't. God gives grace to the, the humble. Another definition is um, that it's a free gift. And it is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But the Bible does say that you can fall from grace. You can fall from grace by doing things out of your own works, out of your own righteousness. So if it's a free gift, I mean, it wouldn't matter. I mean, what you do, I mean, you just, but, it, but Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. Christ is the end. Our righteousness comes from him. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. <clears throat> and just to kind of give you a backdrop with where I'm going here in Acts chapter 4, you guys are probably familiar with that story where um, Peter and John went to the temple to pray and there was um, a lame man there before they went in the temple at the gate. And Peter um, looked upon him and he said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. This man had been lame um, and he stood up and he was leaping and dancing and shouting for joy. And they went into the temple and all these people came because they were amazed at what happened. And, Je and Peter looked at him and he said, you know, you men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so early, earnestly on us as though through our own power, our holiness, we made this man to walk? But it's faith in the name of Jesus. And so um, all these people were coming. Peter preached an awesome sermon. 5,000 people were saved, but the religious leaders were not happy about it. They came and they apprehended him and they held him overnight. And they said, you know, we don't like what you're preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And, but Peter was so bold and said, you know, we got to listen to God rather than what you're saying. 
and they let him go. And so that's the backdrop of where we're at here in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. They, Peter and John, they went back to the other believers and they were actually counted it a privilege to be persecuted like this for the name of Jesus. And we, we start at verse 29 of Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, behold their threatening. So they just had gotten released and they came back together. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak the wor thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. So how do signs and wonders come? By the name of Jesus. By stretching forth thy hand. Okay, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were all assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. Boldness will come when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. That's our goal as a body. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. In verse 33, this is where I want to really focus our attention. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's where we need to get. Great grace. I mentioned that unmerited favor and a free gift are incomplete. A good working definition is God's willingness to use his ability on our behalf. His ability flowing through us. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's when things are going to happen. That's when things are going to happen. And you see that in the book of Acts, great grace was upon them. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So great grace can be on a body of believers or it can be upon a person individually. And we want God's grace. We want his ability. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by his spirit, says the Lord. That's his grace. Jesus went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil and went doing good. He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power doing that. That's God's grace, his power, his ability flowing through us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, Paul was, obviously he was having some struggles with some things going on in his ministry. And he said that he, you know, he cried or prayed to the Lord three times that this thing would be taken from him. Because he was, he was caught up to the third heaven. And he had some revelation that was pretty powerful that the enemy wasn't too excited about. He'd go from town to village to village saying, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. By Jesus' stripes you were healed. I mean, he went about saying nothing is impossible with you. I mean, he had gotten some great revelation when he went up to that third heaven and, and the enemy was not happy about it. And he would bring affliction. He'd bring persecution everywhere that Paul would go. And Paul was... He was getting kind of troubled by it. In verse 7, Unless I should be exalted about above measure through the abundance of the revelations, he's cut up to the third heaven, that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. 
So make it very clear in your mind that it's a, that it's a messenger of Satan. He's not coming from God. It's a messenger of Satan to buffet him wherever he went because he was turning the world upside down, okay? Lest I should be exalted above measure. And some people say, you know, well, it's coming from God. Um, no. Verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. In verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I've heard many times, even this morning, I'm a chiropractor, I had this patient come in, and she's had this thing going on, and she says, I think it's like Paul. You know, I just think that this is a thorn in the flesh that God is testing me, is using me with this. And I've come across so many people that misinterpret what Paul is, is saying here. What he's saying is, Paul, my grace is sufficient. I've given you the ability that you can take authority over this messenger from Satan that keeps buffeting you. And you read in the, in the end of Acts, it, it happened. I mean, he was in his own hired house. People came to him, and he preached of the kingdom of God. And I know that there are preachers that are awesome preachers of faith, but there are different areas in their life that they're not really walking by faith. I'm not saying that condemning. I'm just saying I believe there are some things that Paul, even if, if we would go up to heaven and, and talk with him, that he would say, I had this revelation, but there are things that I went through that I, I really did not probably have to go through. I could have used some more authority. You know, just because God, um, you know, brings a revelation, that doesn't necessarily mean that that faith is developed in that person to walk it out. I mean, some of the greatest preachers, you know, there may be areas where that is not manifesting in their lives. Okay. But this one thing that Paul was saying is that God showed him that you're asking me to do something that I've given you the ability to take care of yourself. And that, that's grace. It's God's ability. And there are certain things that are important that we get revelation of and obedience to to increase this grace. Paul wrote to Timothy in one of his last letters, he said, be strong in grace. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, Paul, be strong in grace. Peter, in his last letter, he said, grow in grace. The last verse of Second Peter, he said, grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In a lot of the letters that Paul would write in different epistles, he would say, grace unto you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last verse of 2 Corinthians, um, it said, Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, I want you to know the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Grace was very important to Paul and to Peter, that people would understand the importance of grace and that they were growing in grace, that they were strong in grace, that they were strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we read in Acts that great grace was upon that church. And like I said, he's no respecter of persons. He's not. It's faith in his grace that is going, Jesus was full of grace and truth. 
He was full of grace and truth. And people came from everywhere because God's ability was flowing through him. And he had learned some things that will increase that grace. One of the things that will help is understanding of righteousness. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to share some things that is vital for us to increase in our understanding of righteousness. When I say increase in righteousness, I'm not saying that a person become more righteous. I'm talking about our revelation of righteousness can increase. Our understanding of righteousness can increase. The Bible says, can two walk together except they be in agreement? And a lot of times we, we think of that verse of one with one another, and that's true. But what about being in agreement with God, with Father God, with his thoughts? Here's a profound statement of Proverbs that says, the thoughts of the righteous are right. I mean, they're right. And the Bible, when it talks about marriage, it says, what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? It says, don't get married with somebody that's an unbeliever. You know, what, what fellowship are you going to have? And so using that principle with God, it's hard to have fellowship when your thoughts are, oh, I'm nothing, I can't do anything, you know, I did this in the past. Well, maybe you have sin, but it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's like you never did it. Romans chapter uh, 5 and verse 20, Romans chapter 5, verse 21, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace, might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So if we want God's grace increasing in our lives, in our church, let's get a righteousness consciousness. Going the same chapter, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. The Amplified says, reign as kings in life. Grace flows through righteousness. The kingdom of God is founded on righteousness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And as we get understanding of who we are in Christ, that we were made the righteousness of God. There was a great exchange at the cross. The Bible says that when Jesus hung on that tree, it says he was made sin for us. He took his sin upon himself that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So what does righteousness look like? It's coming before God without any guilt, without any shame, without any feelings of inferiority. Because God looks at us just like he looks at Jesus. And some people have a hard time with that. How can you, how can you say you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? Well, the Bible says it. I mean, it's very clear. And when people get a, um, a sense of righteousness, a righteousness consciousness, it says, 
Awake to righteousness and sin not. Some people are just battling with sin over and over and over because they don't realize, like um, Pastor Richard and Nathan have done a wonderful job saying, is that once you're born again, that sin nature is gone. You know, it's broken. The power of it is broken. But we're going to get in a minute of what some of these benefits of righteousness are, and it's amazing. It's powerful. And faith will just, God's grace will come as we get a righteousness consciousness. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So grace is God's willingness to use his ability on our behalf. Um, kind of a natural analogy. Let's say Jesus came, you're standing on the shore of a lake and he said, you're going to go across to the other side. Maybe it's like five miles. Well, some people may get a canoe and just start paddling. Okay. And let's say it gets real windy, you know, and then they're, fighting harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. You know, and some people would come back to shore and they would maybe get a different type of oar or do something to their canoe and they go harder and harder and harder. And some people, you know, they do that enough times they just quit. That's doing things in our own natural ability. But God's grace is, I've got this boat over here with this powerful motor. And rather than you rowing, and taking hours to get across. You can, you can get across there in minutes. That's the difference between our ability and God's grace, his willingness to get involved with us. And the sense of righteousness, knowing that we've been made the righteousness of God, it brings confidence. Also, the humility and the fear of the Lord is part of um, increasing grace, but I don't want to get into that um, tonight. 2 Peter 1, 2, it says, grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God. So you might want to write that down. 2 Peter 1, 2, that grace comes through knowledge. And so I'm talking about knowledge of our, of our righteousness. Hebrews 1, 8, let's, let's turn there to Hebrews 1, 8. I mentioned that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, Enjoy in the Holy Ghost. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8. Okay. But unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God. So this is a good verse also if, if somebody that is maybe not a believer, and they say, is Jesus really God? You can take him to this verse. Hebrews 1, but unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. <clears throat> and we know from the full armor of God that we're told to put on what? The breastplate of righteousness. It's over over our heart, that righteousness, consciousness over our heart. <clears throat> Some of the benefits of righteous thoughts, I said that we need to be in agreement with God, that he's a righteous God, and we're going to have fellowship. We need to know 
what thoughts are pleasing to him and what are not. And that's having these righteous thoughts. We, we read in Romans 5.17 that we reign as kings in life. That's one of the benefits. Psalm 5.12, let's go there. So these are the benefits of having a righteousness consciousness. We reign as kings in life. Romans 5.12. Or I, I mean Psalms 5.12. Psalms 5 verse 12. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor will thou compass him as with a shield. He blesses the righteous and he surrounds the righteous with favor. One act of favor with God is worth years of doing things on your own, of working on your own. Just one encounter with the favor of God, it can change things forever. And he, he says he will do that to the righteous but according to your faith, be it unto you. You have, to, you have to own that, that I am the righteousness of God because of what Jesus has done. And because of that, I have some benefits. I'm going to reign as a king in life. His favor is going to surround me wherever I go. That's a great confession. It's one that I confess every day, that God's favor goes with me wherever I go. Revelation, let's go over to Proverbs chapter 3, 24. When you get into the word and you want understanding, you want revelation, or you want revelation for just things that you go through in life. Proverbs 3, 24, um, wrong one. Um, I wrote it down wrong, but there is a scripture um, that it talks about the foreword is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Somebody want to Google that and maybe find out where the reference, I, I wrote that down, but <laughs> his secret is with the righteous. Boldness in prayer is another benefit of having a righteousness consciousness. 332, I was in the right chapter. 332. <laughs> yeah. For the forward is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. Revelation will come. People are saying, I just don't understand things. I don't understand God, his ways. No, stop confessing that. He says that his secret is with the righteous. You can hear from God. He will speak to you and he will bring secrets to you. He lays up sound wisdom for the righteous. Boldness in prayer. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. One thing that I have noticed in my life that as I get more of a righteousness consciousness and a boldness come, hearing the voice of God it becomes clearer. But when I start feeling, oh, you know, I, I feel guilt or shame, it's, it, it can be harder to hear the voice of the Lord because what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? 
but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You come knowing that you have some rights and you start hearing because God likes that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him because he said he is a rewarder, rewarder to those that diligently seek him. And one of those rewards is revelation. He's going to speak to you. Don't do that. Do this. You know, he's going to bring revelation. And, and it says in 1 John chapter 3 that um, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. So the opposite of having that righteousness, bold mentality is condemnation. And the enemy, Satan, he is accuser of the brethren. He's constantly bringing accusations. Before God, I don't know how that happens, but he, he, he brings accusations to God, accusing the brethren. He's trying to bring condemnation because he is after our faith because he realizes that faith is what's going to overcome. Faith is what's going to bring damage to his kingdom. And when we come together in unity in faith, and God's grace is great upon us, and we're walking in that righteousness, and faith is increasing, he's in trouble. Amen. And so he tries to bring condemnation. He tries to bring guilt. He tries to bring shame. And God doesn't want that. Jesus paid a heavy price. Yes, he Let's say if we were translated to the crucifixion, and Jesus, Jesus is sitting there, we're at, a, at, you know, we're at the foot of the cross, and, and maybe there's a sickness, and you're saying, Jesus, do you want to heal me? Do, do you want to heal? He's like, what do you think I'm up here on the cross for? Or, you know, somebody is saying, Jesus, can you forgive me of my sin? What do, you th what do you think I'm up on this cross for? Or if you go to the whipping post where he's, he's being whipped and the Bible says, by your stripes I am healed. And somebody is there saying, Jesus, is it your will to heal me? You know, why, why am I doing this? So we, he paid a heavy price for these things. And it pleases God when we have a righteousness consciousness and we, and we say with confidence, God, I have a need here. Remember, we're in covenant with him. <clears throat> Another thing is protection. Let's go to Isaiah 54. Protection and, and a righteousness consciousness, knowing you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it will drive out fear. It will drive out fear. Isaiah 54, 14. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near thee. And go to 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Psalm 23, he leads us in the path of righteousness for his namesake. That is a scepter of his kingdom, is a scepter of righteousness, for the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Go over to chapter 32 of Isaiah. Righteousness 
will bring peace. If your soul is troubled, ask God for this revelation of righteousness. Isaiah 32, verse 17. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So the work of righteousness is peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace. When you have peace in your soul, when your soul is not troubled, then it's going to bring joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's going to bring answered prayer. We talked about that. But in James chapter 5, it says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman is going to avail much. It avails much. It's powerful. It's effective, effectual. And it comes from knowing you are the righteousness of God. Because a lot of times people think that they draw things to them of what they desire, but really you draw things of that image that you have on the inside. The image that you have of yourself is powerful. It's going to draw certain things and it's going to repel other things. And if we have that righteousness consciousness, these things are going to start drawing to us and we're going to start repelling this. And great grace, God's ability, because grace reigns through righteousness. God's ability comes through that. Now what happens or what problems can happen if we're not walking in this righteousness. If we start doing things out of our own works, if, if this grace is, the Bible says that Paul said that you can, you can mess this up. And let's, let's go to Galatians 2.21. So not only are there great benefits from having this righteousness consciousness and flowing in God's grace, but falling from God's grace and coming short can cause some problems, not only in your lives personally, but in our lives around us. Galatians 2.21, Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So works of your own righteousness, trying to do things to please God, trying to get his favor by your own works, it can frustrate the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go over there. And starting at verse 14. Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Verse 15 of Hebrews 12, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and then what happens? And thereby many people are defiled. So if we're not flowing in the grace of God, 
And a lot of it is because of this righteousness consciousness of not knowing who we are, not knowing what we have, what we can do. It can trouble and it can defile other people because you start murmuring, you start complaining, and you start, you know, gossiping and all these things. But when we know, as Paul said, all things are yours, that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and the grace of God is great upon our lives, and we're bearing much fruit for him, and our faith is increasing, and we're destroying the works of the enemy, people are not going to be defiled. People are going to be blessed. And it comes from that righteousness, consciousness. It comes from that image. You know, you've heard the saying that hurt people hurt people. The same with people that, you know, are not understanding the righteousness of God and they're doing things in their own work and, and they're not going to get blessed. They're just going to get frustrated. And so they start getting bitter and they start complaining and, you know, and it just, it's just a snowball effect. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then turn it over to you. And Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, for righteousness. We thank you, Father, for faith increasing in our lives. And Father, I pray that for all of us, and myself included, that, Father, that if there is anything that is in our soulish realm, Father, that is not in line with your word when it comes to righteousness, if there's anything that's not in line, Father, with who Christ has made us to be, Father, that those lies, those deceptions would be removed right now. Father, I'm asking that in Jesus' name. Father, I'm asking for a righteousness, consciousness to start rising up in our soulish realm. Father, that we know, that we know, that we know that we are the righteousness of God. And Father, I pray that these things that I've talked about as far as the benefits of righteousness would start manifesting. That we would start reigning as kings in life. Father, that there would be no fear, but there would be peace. Father, that there would be that divine protection. Father, that prayers would be answered, that boldness would start rising up within each one of us. And Father, we're wanting, as it was in the Acts of the Apostles, that great grace would come upon our lives. Father, that your ability would start manifesting in our lives. Father, we thank you for the great and precious promises that we are partakers of your divine nature because of those. Father, I, start, I pray for, for the needs. Father, here in this congregation for people that are listening through social media, Father, for needs to be met because they are grasping that they are the righteousness of God and that they have a covenant with you, Father, that Jesus paid a heavy price for that righteousness and for all the grace that comes with that. Father, I pray for every need to be met. Father, I speak right now health to bodies. I speak wholeness in their soul, in their mind, peace. I speak finances to start coming in alignment with what the Word of God says. And for all fear and for all doubt and all lies to be removed. And I I bind the voice of the enemy that would try to bring condemnation, that would try to bring guilt, try to bring shame and doubt and fear. And I bind these thoughts from these people that are listening right now. And I command you to flee and to leave these people alone. And Father, I thank you for a desire to rise up, to walk in our righteousness. I thank you for unity in this body. 
I thank you for great faith rising up in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Anybody else sense his presence here right now? Amen. I'll uh, just give a little admonition. I would uh, highly encourage everybody here to uh, to listen to that one again. Uh, I'll I'll make a special note. It'll be it'll be available tomorrow on uh, the website, YouTube. Okay. Uh, there there is if you're really listening and you're wanting, th- I mean that message will change your life. The the revelation in that message will change your life. There's just no two ways about it. If you apply it and you do it and you let it sink in, don't let it just be another message. That'll change your life. And um, we, uh, a couple years ago, we did a series called, um, what was it called? I think it was called uh, the Transformation Series. And it's still on our website. But of all the keys that we listed there, you know, you can teach on praying in tongues. And uh, if people understand why to pray, they'll pray, even though if they don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> worship, they'll worship. Fasting, they won't like it, but they understand why they need to fast, right? Waiting on God, they get it. All of them, they get. But th- I'll speak from my own personal experience. And I'm going to just go ahead and go out on a limb. I'm going to guess everybody here, probably the hardest thing to do to the natural mind is to confess the word. Speak the word. If you're not familiar with speaking the word, and it's a challenge to you to say the righteousness, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you need to say it until it's not a challenge. Now, most of us like that phrase here because we use it a lot. Well, are you comfortable with the glory that God gave Christ? He's given me. Because he said that about you too. Are you, are you comfortable walking around telling people, oh, I just want you to know I got the same glory as Jesus. <laughs> That's humility. Because he said that about you. Are you comfortable with, in the same way that Jesus was sent, I've been sent. Because he said that too. It's it's easy to call things like they are, but if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you have to call those things that be not as though they were. And I tell you what, you can get people to pray for hours. You can get people to worship. You might even get people to fast. (laughs) But saying things that are not just completely goes against the grain with the natural mind. And we need to get comfortable with it. Amen. Amen.